Welcome into the Oxen Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopel on the show as always. And today we're bringing in our guest of the week, and that is Greg Biggins of 24-7 Sports coming on to talk with us about Oregon Duck football recruiting and recruiting in general. Greg, thanks for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Always, always good talking to you guys. So this is a big week um, from an Oregon perspective on multiple levels. One, it's a big game at UCLA. Two, uh, they're playing their former head coach, although no one really associated with this football program was has ties to Chip Kelly. But nonetheless, it's going to be a storyline that will be talked about on TV, I'm sure. Uh, and three, it's in L.A., and this team is always – uh, dialed up and fired up to play in LA for various reasons. Um, and so we kind of wanted to talk a couple questions with you a little bit about this weekend, first and foremost. Um, your thoughts on the UCLA roster from a talent perspective, how they've done now that Chip Kelly's been in the program there and running the, running the ship there for more than a few years now. Just what kind of talent level you feel like you Oregon is going to be facing uh, from UCLA over the last few years from accumulating recruiting classes. Yeah, no, I mean, I think we've talked about Chip and his recruiting. It's obviously very unique. Um, you know, they're not they're not going after the same level, I guess. I don't know if that's the right word, or the same type of players that you see, you know, from Oregon or or even a you know a USC or some of the upper level programs across the country. It's it's about development with Chip. He really believes in that. He, he believes in, you know, a lot of physical traits and measurables. And uh, and then he believed in his ability to coach and develop. So I think from the first day he got there, his philosophy was, you know what, I don't want to deal with maybe some of these five-star guys who are a little harder to get and maybe don't fit our culture. Uh, let's get the next best guy. And we're going to weight room him and great nutrition program, and then we're going to make him just as good a football player. So four years now, I think the talent level overall is is, is okay. Um, you know, I don't think it's what you would expect from a, you know, traditional UCLA team, which, you know, for decades, you know, you'd pretty much see UCLA and USC accumulate the most talent just because there was always right. a lot of talent in the Southern California area. So, you know, overall, I, I think they're – you know, they have some good football players. You know, I think Chip's a good coach. Um, you know, I think, you know, a lot with them depends on the quarterback play. When Dorian plays well, they, they seem to, to do well. When he struggles, you know, then they struggle offensively. So, uh, you know, good offensive line, a couple of good running backs, big, strong. You know, I think the transfer portal has been great for Chip and UCLA just because they're not going to get that high-level four- or five-star guy out of high school because um, right. they're not going to do the things you need to do to get that guy in terms of just, like, the constant attention and – and whatnot, but in the portal, you can get a, a Zach Charbonnet, who's a four-star level guy. Who you know, when you leave the portal, you don't care about being wine and dined and bells and whistles, right? You just want to find the best fit for you. And so Charbonnet, I think, is an NFL guy. Um, you know, I think Kyle Phillips is an NFL guy. Sean Ryan, the left tackle. Uh, you know, it'll be fun. You know, if he and him and Kayvon are matched up, I think Ryan is an NFL guy. Obviously, Kayvon is a first-day guy. So. Uh, you know, the defensive side of the ball is, is kind of where I think a little suspect with the secondary. Um, the pass rush, you know, hasn't been super explosive. I haven't watched every UCLA game, but that's just kind of what I've seen and what I read on Burn Report right. Online. So, but, you know, talent wise, Oregon will have a talent advantage in the game 
but again, it'll come down to, you know, scheme and, and who plays better that particular day. And, and so I'm, I think it'll be a fun game. I'm, I'm kind of curious about it myself. The last couple of years, or I, I should say the first couple of years of Mario Cristobal's tenure as head coach, they really hit home in Southern California. They hit that hard. And it, it there was definitely that, that, that narrative of, hey, we're going to own SoCal. Um, that's been a couple of years now. They still recruit there heavily, but they've also kind of spread their tentacles now east, and they're starting to spread out and recruit more and more nationally as well. Just what are your thoughts now on Oregon's presence in L.A. with 2022 kids, 2023 kids? Is it still you get that vibe that, hey, this is the epicenter for Oregon's recruiting? Or and what's just the vibe right now in L.A. for Oregon? Yeah, no, I think it's a great vibe. I think they're they are they do such a good job of being aggressive in how they recruit. You know, I every other day, or maybe that's exaggerating, at least a few times a week, I'll talk to a coach who will talk up how much more Oregon is is recruiting and how much harder they are than than the two local schools. And just I forgot where I was, but a coach just said, you know, it's amazing. We've been here, you know, we got a really good pro. I don't want to name the name the school, but it's it's a program that has um, it has two former ducks and a and a duck on the team right now. But they're like, you know what? We haven't seen you know either SC or UCLA here in years. Oregon is here all the time, and that just baffles this coach. And, and so I, I think they are still doing a really good job of focusing on Southern California. But I think it's a national brand. I mean, when you have a national brand like Oregon does, you recruit nationally. Especially for me, you know, I think Southern California football talent has dipped over the last few or you know four or five years. I've been consistent in saying that. And so, especially linemen wise. So I think Oregon's doing a great job of going national for linemen and even going national for, for skill guys and national for your quarterback. So I think recruit the best guys out of Southern California because the top 10 to 15 are still going to be high level national guys. Uh, but when you have a brand like Oregon and they've had that, you know, shoot credit Chip Kelly, ironically, right? I think Oregon probably benefits more from Chip Kelly's name than UCLA right now. I've, I've said that a few times, which is kind of weird for people to hear, but I'm like, hey, when Chip was at Oregon, that was the the best show in town. It was, you know, yeah. the, such a, the way they played was such a fun style of football. And I think people growing up, the kids now, you know, are saying, man, I used to love Oregon. And even though that was Chip Kelly, like they are associating Oregon, with, you know, with those teams. And so a lot of kids grew up really liking those Oregon teams and the, the style and they're kind of gravitating toward that program. And it's still a lot of glitz and glamour and uniforms and bells and whistles. But it, I don't think it's – it's all style and no substance. There's plenty of substance to b back it up too. So long-winded way of saying, I think Oregon is, is still doing a good job in California, but also smartly uh, going broad, going national and getting guys as well. Greg, I wanted to highlight, and Matt, I'm sorry, this is in our show notes, but again, as we say on this podcast, often show notes aren't really a thing we have. Um, Greg, I, I, Jack Sharp, you know, you talked about Charbonnet a second ago and how talented he is. He's a kid from the SoCal area, recruited by a lot of these schools, but ended up at Michigan out of high school, and then and, and uh, you know and ended up having a, a couple really good years or one really good season at least his freshman year at Michigan before transferring closer to home. Why, why did he leave the footprint? Why was that a kid that the Pac-12 couldn't keep at least out of high school? And then you mentioned him as an NFL guy. To me, he seems like the class of the conference right now from a running back position. Do you, do you kind of agree with that, or, or what, what's your stance on him and his talent level? 
I think he's really good. I think he's, um, you know, he's a guy who made a huge jump, I think, between his junior and senior year. Now, trust me, he was highly coveted by both SC and UCLA. I'm not, I don't remember how, how interested Oregon was, but both LA schools liked him a lot. But, you know, Zach's an interesting guy. He's kind of, I'm trying to think of a similar comp um, in terms of just his personality. He, he's a guy who's not really, you know, he wasn't a social media guy. He wasn't someone who, did a lot of interviews. He was very kind of a quiet, introverted kid. And so I don't think he had any issues with leaving Southern California. Uh, the whole family visited Michigan and they loved it. He's kind of a Big Ten kind of a kid. Not just his style is also Big Ten, right? He's tough. He's physical. He's downhill. But just his makeup and the way he is personally, he just kind of seems comfortable in that kind of environment versus a big city. Now, like you mentioned, big freshman year, got a little banged up, got involved in a little bit of a rotation and just kind of wanted to be back home, I think high-end academic guy and and UCLA probably the the runner-up for him uh his head coach at Oaks Christian Charlie Collins is pretty close with Chip and obviously they had a they had an opening at running back so I, I think it just fit for him to come back home and obviously he's been really good but no I, mean, I, I love his style you know just 215 pounds um runs well he was a track guy in high school tough like I said man he, he can wear down a defense and I think he's a, uh, yeah, I think he's definitely an NFL style running back. Greg, I, Go ahead. I was just going to say, Greg, I, I did want to ask you about kind of quarterback evaluations and, and, and tying that in with, with Ty, which I guess is an unintentional kind of wordplay there. Um, Ty Thompson, <laughs> when, when he came out and obviously he's not LA, but he's somebody you've seen enough to have an opinion. W did you think he was like a ready-made prospect? And, and I guess I asked that because the, the I think the assumption from, Fans, and I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna ask you to assess where he is right now because you haven't seen him obviously in a very long time. But the assumption from fans is he has to be better than the guy who's currently at quarterback. And it seems like Oregon staff either disagrees with that or or, or just doesn't think he's ready. When you were evaluating Tide, like kind of what did you like about him, and what led you to believe he could be somebody who could contribute right away, or or did you think he would be somebody who would take some time to to kind of get it all together? Yeah, no, I, I thought he was uh, – this maybe sounds funny to fans, but I thought he was a developmental guy with five-star tools. And people need to understand when we do rankings, and I think I have this discussion probably with your board members more than anyone. And they're, they're always cool. They're, I mean, that your board has always been good to me. Um, but we explain, hey, our rankings is based off of the NFL draft as a measurement. The counter from your board guys is, hey, who cares about NFL? We care about college which my counter is always, hey, the NFL draft, Have you do NFL teams draft bad college football players? Typically, I, I don't think so, right? They want to get the best football players, and the best way to usually evaluate who was the best football player in college is the draft. And there's always going to be exceptions to the rule, but with Ty, you know, I, I thought he was a developmental guy, big, strong kid. You love the frame. You love the body, and the guy looks like a great god and huge arm. Uh, he's mobile. You know, he checks off all the physical measurables, but – you know, as a junior, people, you know, the reason why he was kind of late on our board moving up was because we wanted to see a little bit more production, a little more consistency. Um, we're big on a couple stats, completion percentage and touchdown interception ratio. You know, those are two stats that traditionally translate to college and obviously the NFL draft. If, you know, we look at the draft and see who gets drafted highly, we kind of go revert to the high school and say, OK, what do these guys all have in common? And, and it was Guys with, you know, completion percentages between, you know, the 65 to 70 percentiles, really good. That's elite. And then you want typically at least a, a four to one touchdown to interception ratio. Ken, that shows decision making. That shows accuracy. 
Um, it shows a lot of things that you want to see in a, in a high-level college quarterback. And so we wanted to see Ty kind of improve in those areas from his junior to senior year, and he did. He had a really good senior year, but I still felt like, you know what, he's not one of those guys that you see um, who is just so refined and so polished. You know, Bryce Young, you know, for comparison. And Bryce had to wait a year, but Bryce could have went in and played as a true freshman because he was that good in terms of just – how polished and how the game slowed down for him. The hardest thing for a young quarterback is to get them to kind of slow the game down. When they get sped up, that's when you see a lot of interceptions flying. Defenses are flying around. Once a quarterback gets it, you can tell because the game just kind of slows down. So with Ty, yeah, he had five-star tools, and we think he's got a chance to be a first-round pick someday. But as of right now, my evaluation was it might be a year or even two. It might take a little bit. And I know the most popular you know, guy on the team is always the backup quarterback, right? Yeah. So I get Oregon fans' frustration. Hey, this guy's a five-star. Why is he playing yesterday? Um, I, I think in Ty's case, his five-star was based on his long-term projection, not necessarily where he's going to come in and be able to play at like right now. Looking at – Eric brought up Charbonnet, and I wanted – that popped an idea into my head I needed that to talk to you about because I think – Oregon fans have been very spoiled from a running back perspective of having the, the two or three best, you know, the top three running back in the conference, if not having the best running back in the conference on a consistent basis. Um, and they've signed five stars. They've had an amazing run from late 2000s to about 2015 or so. Um, Bryce Freeman, Thomas Tyner, uh, Byron Marshall, uh, Jonathan Stewart, if you want to go a little further back than that. And this team has had two solid, really good running backs, and CJ Verdell and Travis Dye, the last three years um, as starters. And yet it, it feels like they haven't been able to go out and and really land that elite elite level running back in a while what, what are your thoughts on just Oregon's recruiting at that position in general the last three or four years because it, it, they haven't gone out and landed like a top five guy at that position which is kind of surprising to me yeah no that's a good question that's a that's a really good question um you know I'd like Travis Dye if I'm gonna give you a little insight his school Norco that was actually the, the coach who was kind of mentioning you know, Troy and Travis and, you know, Oregon being on that campus a lot more than the two L.A. schools. But it's a great question because, like you said, I mean, you could even go, you know, start naming – I mean, there's Kenyon Barner. You might – DeAnthony. There's been a lot of great running backs in Oregon, and it's a system that's kind of set up for you to have a top five to top ten running back. I would say this. Part of my frustration with Southern California or even California football in general has been just a dearth of quality running backs. I mentioned, you know, the linemen – haven't been around, but we've kind of struggled a little bit. Um, so I, I think, you know, I think Oregon is going to be able to land a big time running back. You know, Byron Cardwell was a guy last year they signed late, um, not signed late, got a late commitment from, and we were really high on him. I thought he was a guy with a, a national type of game. And I think he has a chance to be, now again, people might be laughing because I have no clue how he's done since he's gotten to Oregon. But at least coming up, I thought he was a guy who could be, you know, a legitimate, you know, NFL guy. Uh, so if, if you're talking about, hey, we need to try to find a, a running back, 
who's just going to come in and be three and out and rush for a thousand yards as, as a freshman and be that, you know, game breaker who can go 80 yards from anyone on the field, but also run between the tackles. Yeah, no, I, I would say those guys are hard to find. I mean, right. the running back position overall has been so devalued uh, in terms of the NFL. Now you can still find good college running backs, but I just think, you know, it's really hard to find elite level running backs and, Man, when you when you see a good one, they just jump out for you. But there's just not as many, especially not that many out in the West Coast anymore. Your your thoughts on Jill Florence? He's probably the guy I think in Oregon's class right now that saw the biggest jump in his ranking. Um, he went from outside the top 247 to almost being a top 60 player in the country. Um, Pretty, that's a pretty substantial jump. Um, just your thoughts on Florence and just what led to that. So he, for me, is is a no-brainer. And I, I love his body of work and his makeup as a football player and as a kid. And honestly, we had in, in our little rankings committee, we had a couple people actually thought he should have been ahead of Tucker. And I was kind of like, hey, slow down. Like, I love the kid. I'm his biggest fan, but let's slow down. Uh, you know, I think people forget how good Jalil is, Jalil Tucker, because Jalil hasn't been able to – he hasn't been as healthy. But if you talk to the Lincoln coaches who love Florence, they're like, yeah, Tuck is still our guy. Like, he is an elite-level athlete. You know, we're talking about a guy who, if he's healthy, you know, he probably runs a 10-5, 100-meter last season, and he did run in a relay, and I think he went like 24 miles an hour. He had a, like a, had a little viral video where he's running 24, 23 on the second leg of a four by one before he got hurt in track. He is an elite level guy, but to get, to get back to Florence. So again, when you look at the things that we value in a corner, it's, it's things like length, it's short area quickness, it's twitch, it's your long speed, uh, it's your physicality, it's your ball skills and ball awareness. You know, talking to Daniel Jeremiah, who I think is the best NFL draft guy, and he said the difference between a good corner and a great corner is, is typically ball skills and being able to turn the ball over. It's being that athlete that doesn't just get there in time to bat the ball down, but can intercept it and then make a play afterward. That's your elite, elite NFL guy. And production, really, and that's why I've always big on, I was always so big on Mikael Wright because that's what he's capable of being is that guy who can turn the ball over and go do something with the football. So that, that's Jaleel. I mean, you watch him. He's an offensive player. He's returning punts and kicks. Always competes hard, man. He, he will come up and run support and, and knock the crap out of you. And he's long and he's got a body that's still failing out. And he's still, and the thing about him is he's still new to football. His first sport was basketball. And kind of to show you what kind of athlete he is, I, I, I'm a big track guy. And I'm the one who kind of encouraged him last year hey, run track, run track. It'll be good for you. It'll be good for your, you know, learn how to run. That's what we value in terms of ranking. His first 100 meter race, he didn't know how to do his blocks. He had to be helped in terms of how to do the blocks. And his last race was the 10, 700 meters. So, Jeez. He goes from not even knowing what he's doing with blocks to running ten seven, and who knows what he'll run this year. But I don't. I think he's an early grad, so we won't be able to find out. But no, I mean he he has every box. He has the makeup. He has the intangibles. He has the toughness. Great kid. Good student. Loves football. Plays with passion. Just so you add all those all those things up, man. He, again, he was just a no brainer to move up. And people would say, well, why did you wait so long? Again, we wanted to see the film. We wanted to see. The senior, the senior tape to see if it matched up with all the other things that he does so well. And his tape was kind of exceeded our expectations. I got a chance to see him live. I did their game against Los Alamitos, and he covered DeAndre Moore 
who's a really, really good football player in the 2023 class going to Oklahoma. And DeAndre didn't have a shot in that game. It was, it was just striking to see how good Florence was. And so, yeah, it was a, it was a natural bump and um, excited to see, excited for him to develop and excited to see how good he can be three or four years from now. Greg, there's a lot of sizzle in this recruiting class. Oregon's class ranked seventh nationally, a ton of four-star talent. I wanted to ask you about a couple of guys that are maybe more under the radar. And those are the two lowest rated recruits in the class. That would be offensive tackle Michael Wooten and defensive lineman Sir Mel's. Um, and both those guys are roughly in your neck of the woods in terms of coverage. What, what, what do you like about those two players? I'm not, I'm not going to ask you if you think they can move up the rankings, but just in terms of what do they project to be? Yeah, no. So Wilton's a guy who um, I saw him play in person. We did one of the Sierra Canyon games and, and he was good. You know, again, he's raw right now. He came from uh, the South, transferred into Sierra Canyon before his junior year. Then COVID hit, he had no off season, no strength and conditioning program. And then they only got like five games last year. And, and he was, you know, he was just solid in some of those games. Uh, he's got the frame and the body that you really love. And, th- and that's probably why, you know, he's rated as high as he is. I'm not even sure what he is. I'm pretty sure we have him rated higher, um, you know, than the composite. And he actually did move up a little bit. I think he might have been like an 85 and now he's an 87. And I think he's still trending up. You know, again, he's got the frame. He's a natural athlete. He's a natural tackle. Those guys are kind of hard to find. So um, will he continue to move up? You know, possibly. Again, he's, he's, he's not a kind of guy that you're going to turn the tape on and be like, oh, my gosh, this guy is unbelievable, right? He's not going to be one of those guys that's going to wow you. He's not going to have 20 pancakes in, in a game. And, and part of that is because they, they play a great schedule. Sierra Canyon plays a national schedule. So uh, the tape is good, um, but he's a guy that you project at down the road. And so right now I, I like where he's at in that 87 range, and there's nothing wrong with being an 87. I think if you're in the 87 to 89 range, that that's pretty darn good. You're you're a high end three guy, and there's not much difference between an 87, 88, and a 90. There really isn't. Um, you know, Sir Mel's is you know he's that big space eater. You know, he's all of six four, and I don't know what three hundred something. So you know, he's a guy who I think again he, he plays a position D tackle, which is extremely hard to find. We call it a premium position because there's just not a lot of big time D tackles. And, you know, he's – I think he's – trying to think of a good player comp for him. I don't know if we have one, but I would say playing style-wise, he's probably not as technically sound as, like, Keanware Hudson, who, you know, played at modern day. So he kind of came in. Uh, but I think he can have that same kind of – be that same kind of impactful player, you know. And I think where Hudson's already kind of playing a lot. So I think Mel's the guy who I think maybe redshirts. And then maybe by a second, third in the program, he's, he's a guy you can throw out there, interior defensive line. Big, strong guy. He's going to get stronger in that weight program that's, that Oregon has. And so um, he's an 85 right now, I believe. And I, I think that's a, a pretty good spot for him. Saw him play Liberty. They played Modern Day. Didn't have a great game. No one does against Modern Day. But, you know, again, I think he's a long-term guy who I think has got a chance to be definitely a, a Pac-12 contributor. California produces just elite receiver after elite receiver every single year. And where does McMillan stack? And just, I'm not going to ask you that, hey, he's the best guy ever, but <laughs> it feels like he's different than a lot of other guys that come through that state. What's just your, your thoughts on just 
how good McMillan is at, at receiver because every time we see highlights, it's just like, dear Lord, that's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I just talked to someone um, today. I, I did an interview with someone from Max Preps who was previewing the modern-day Servite game they play this weekend. And not little shameless plug, Saturday night, 8 o'clock, Valley Sports. You'll hear me on the air. How bad, how bad was that right there? Just plugging <laughs> myself. Love it. More, more of <laughs> that, he asked me, he asked at eight o'clock start. Uh, hopefully people can stay awake that late. That was a little dig at my guy, Eric Sondheimer. Um, <laughs> but he asked me, where does T-Mac rank? And I said, he's probably top five in my 30 years, almost 30 years of doing, of covering this. I'm talking just Southern California, just Southern California high school football receivers. I, I'd always said the three best that I've seen at the high school level were Amon Ross, St. Brown, Robert Woods, and Deshaun Jackson. Um, then I think you probably throw Steve Smith in there from Taft and going to USC. And I would put T-Mac in that top five for me. Um, probably the best best body control slash jump ball skills I've ever seen in a receiver. And like every once in a while, you'll, you'll see a receiver jump up one hand over defender and, and make a catch. Every like if he does three, two or three of those in a season, it's crazy. He does those every game. And I'm not even exaggerating. At least once a game. He'll he'll do something that you've never seen before, whether it just be, you know, a, a crazy touchdown, interception, um, just being able to jump, twist his body in midair, get a foot down next to the sideline. Just he's different. Like you said, man, he, there's just something different about him. I don't know. I don't know how it how he got those skills, but the ball skills and just the ability to make contested jump ball catches. I've never seen anything like it. And it doesn't matter if it's playing high school, if it's seven on seven, if it's at the opening finals, every single time he plays in the game, he does something that kind of wows you. And, uh, you know, he's not, a, I always say this cause you always want to kind of preface it and, and keep things in perspective. He, he's not a burner. Um, you know, my comp for him is probably like a Keenan Allen who great route runner gets open. He's not a guy who's going to, catch a ball, make eight guys miss. Although T-Mac is extremely good after the catch at the high school level. He's not a, a super, you know, long speed guy, but if he can end up being a, a Keenan Allen type, that's, yeah, that's that bad, bad. right. That's not bad at all. Um, he's better than Drake London was in high school and Drake might be a first round pick. Also got, you know, a long guy, not a burner, but just physically it kind of imposes himself on, on other teams. I think London's a bigger, stronger physical guy than T-Mac. T-Mac, I think, is a little better athletically. Ironically, both guys were really good basketball players. Um, you know, <laughs> London was a top 100 basketball player. T-Mac played on his basketball team at Servite. They have a good program. He was a freshman starter, and he's a top 50 volleyball recruit. So, I mean, his, his jumping ability and, and timing. And, again, if you know anything about volleyball, man, it, it's a timing, jumping yeah. timing sport. And so yeah. I think that's why he's got his ability to jump up. And, and you see so many receivers, they jump too early, too late. His timing, not just his jumping ability, like how high he can get, but his timing is what really sets him apart. I know he was very close to committing to Arizona. I mean, that that recruitment came up all the way to the very end. Do you feel like there's any inkling he may visit other schools? I understand Arizona is horrible, but he was interested in Arizona for the future, not the instant success. Um is he really solid with Oregon, you feel like? Is there any reason, you know, Duck fans could be concerned he doesn't sign in December? Um, I, I think he's solid. I think he's rock solid. I mean, it's it's recruiting, right? I, I right. never want to say he's a lock, but like 
I, I don't get shocked too often, but it would be a shocker for me. You know, he just took his visit last weekend, loved it. Mom loved it. You know, he's that's his dream school. You know, people don't realize that was his, you know, you mentioned it. He that one came down to the wire with Arizona because he's so close with Noah Fafita and also Keon Burnett, but especially Noah, you know, that's his best friend. And they're more than just friends. They're like moms are best friends. And Noah's dad coached him in, through Pop Warner. And so they're as close as you could you could call them family, especially in the Polynesian community. When you're you're that close, you're not just friends. You're, that's that's a family. So it, he was very very close with Arizona. End of the day, it was he couldn't turn down Oregon. Now if Arizona got off to a hot start and it, now they're, they're five and two right now instead of whatever they are, oh and whatever, if they got off to a, a hot start, I would say shoot man, Arizona, watch out for them. But you know, just they're they're not looking all that great, and that's being kind. Um, I like dead fish. I, I hope he turns it around, but I would be really, really surprised if he's not an Oregon duck, man. He, he is locked in, loves Oregon. Like I said, man, they're, they're, they're doing really good. They feel really good about the ducks. Greg, this class, we mentioned it tops in the PAC 12 right now. seems like it's headed that direction for what will be a, I think a fourth straight year. What is it about this class that you maybe that differentiates itself from some of these previous classes at Oregon from from your perspective and and kind of what would you like? I know you you, you cover everything nationally, so maybe I'm asking you too much of a in-depth question about one school. But like, are there things that you really like about kind of what Oregon has done this class? You know, I'm mean, honestly, I think you mentioned it like in the way as we're speaking that out, out and uh, it would be their fourth straight. You said four straight um, top class yeah. in the Pac-12. Yeah, I mean, think about that for a second. Like, I never even real, I never even thought about that. That is an, that is insane because for years it was USC was going to be one no matter what. UCLA probably two no matter how good they were on the field, and then you know Washington was always high up there, right? So Oregon, the, the fourth year in a row, is mind boggling when they have to go out of their region to do most of their recruiting. There's not a whole lot of you know Oregon level recruits in state, so. Um, I don't know if I can sit here and say, oh, I like this so much better than last year's class because I like last year's class. And what about the year two, two years? Yeah, like two years ago too. So let's see, kind of come in and be, you know, he's so refined. He's extremely smart, high football intelligence, processes the game. And he's been, you know, he's that just gym rat. Um, so doesn't have the same kind of long-term tools that Ty does, but just in terms of just being a, you know, a guy who can come in and know what he's doing right away. I mean, that that's Tanner Bailey. But, um, you know, I thought Harrison Taggart was a big pickup, probably the most athletic linebacker out West. I mean, the guy's a legitimate 10-7, 10, 10-800-meter guy. Um, you know, Grayson Halton was a, a player who I actually kind of was pushing a little bit to move up in our rankings. I think he might have even dropped a little bit. I think there was some talk that he might be – he's kind of a tweener. Is he an inside guy? Is he an outside guy? You know, I, I just like his off. I just like his athleticism. So for me, I think he's a guy. I don't really have him as a position. I just think he's a he's a good, pretty solid football player. So you know, I, I think it's you know, I think overall, if you're looking for maybe, you know, what what are they lacking? Um, how about maybe like a dominant edge rusher? Mm-hmm. Right? Looking at the class, you know, that's always something that you always want to have and. You know, you're not going to get a Kayvon Thibodeau every every single year, but if you could get a dominant edge rusher to kind of tie this whole thing together, 
you know, I don't think it's going to be hard to get him, but David Bailey is going to visit at some point. You know, he's that outside linebacker, edge rusher type. I think Stanford might be the team to beat there. But, um, yeah, if they can get something like that, um, you know, I, I think that kind of really helps this class moving forward. You just brought him up. Uh, David Bailey, that was one of the guys I was going to ask you about. Just kind of – Oregon feels like you've done a really good job of, of covering his recruitment, and, but it feels like Oregon's really – flown under the radar, whether they're people don't really realize they're in there or, or whatnot, but just your thoughts on Oregon and, and their recruiting chances of, of landing him. I think, and I hope people don't take the ball to Oregon, but I think, um, you know, David is such a high end academic guy. He comes from a family who they care more about academics than football. He has no social media because his family doesn't want him to get distracted. You know, he's got a brother at Harvard. Uh, sister was on an academic scholarship at USC. I mean, it's, it's, School, 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 and and that's why Stanford is probably the team to beat, and that's why the parents like you know SC and UCLA. They probably couldn't even tell you you know much about what SC and UCLA's record is in football. They just it's in their eyes it's it's, it's local, and both schools have really good academic reputations. So that's why I think Oregon probably is the school. And again, don't take this the wrong way. I'm not saying you know Oregon it doesn't offer anything academic. I'm just saying compared to you know, probably those three schools and especially right. Stanford, right? So I think that's probably why they kind of flown under the radar. But, you know, David really is interested. And he wanted to visit in July for the Saturday Night Live event. Didn't have a chance to, wasn't able to. But he will take an official visit. And I think they have a puncher's chance. I really do because, you know, USC doesn't have a coach. Um, UCLA, you know, again, good academic school. We all think Chip is a good coach, but they just aren't pushing as hard as they probably should. And then Stanford is, is, you know, they offer so much academically, but you know, they're just so schizo, right? They beat Oregon and SC and then they lose to Wazoo. So you, you never know, you know, if David does want to play big time football, like as a, as highly academically minded as he is, he wants to play in the NFL. That's is a, is a big goal for him. So I give Oregon a shot. I give him a puncher's chance. If he goes there and he's going to be wowed because He's not your stereotypical like nerd. He's he's a fun guy with a big personality, and he will love that trip. He really will. So if he goes there and, and the family's comfortable enough, the mom and the sister have been going on all the other trips with him. If the mom and the sister, you know, really like it there and he and he kind of falls in love with it, shoot, who knows? Like I've nothing surprises me anymore, but that's kind of what they're what they need to do is kind of make the other part of the family feel good about the academic side and then just kind of wow David from a football side, which I think they will. So it's, it's, it'll be interesting, man. They got a, they got a puncher's chance. Last guy to ask you about uh, Zeke Barry, another player who has skyrocketed up the, the rankings in our latest release on 24 seven sports. Just your thoughts on just a, what led to that increase and in just the major players, Michigan and Oregon feel like the, if he's going to go somewhere, it's best bet one of those two schools. Yeah, no, I, I think right now, and maybe it'll change, but I, I think, you know, so uh, first of all, I, why why the jump? So Huff and I have been really high on him for a long time. I guess it was kind of like getting other people to maybe kind of take our side. That's, I mean, <laughs> there's like eight, eight people that are involved in our in our little rankings committee. So, you know, we can get, you know, we can stand on the table all we want, but you have other people who feel the same way. It doesn't matter how highly you like him. But I mean, for me, he's a no brainer. Number number one, he's a tough kid, man. He just, he's a football player. I mean, 
you come from De La Salle, you're going to be tough. You're going to be uh, extremely competitive. You're going to have an, an incredible work ethic, maniacal in how you play the game. Um, you can't play there unless you have those things. It's like, you know, it, that's just a De La Salle kid is someone I, I – and then you add the physical stuff. Baseball player, so there's no track times, but he can run. I've seen him, you know, just dominate as a receiver – on the seven on seven circuit, maybe body wise, he's kind of between our body between a safety and a corner. I think he can play either, but safety is where we just moved him. And, you know, I, I think early on Oregon, he loved that visit. Um, I don't get the sense again. It's, it's, I think Oregon likes some other guys just as much. So I don't know if Oregon has necessarily put on the full court press for him just yet. Um, maybe they will. Right. And maybe they will. Because, shoot, man, me and Huff like him. That's all you need. Right, Mario? <laughs> hey, first of all, like, look, there, you, there, he's a top 100 guy. Let's go. But, but Michigan has really been pushing hard, man. Michigan has turned down some guys because they love this guy. So if, if there's a lean right now, it's probably like 55, not even that much, probably like 53 to 47, if that math is correct there. I'm not good at math. But, like, maybe Michigan has a little bit of a tiny lead, but it's – it's going back and forth. I do think those two, you know, UCLA is trying a little bit. Cal loves him. Washington just offered him. But, uh, yeah, my guess is, you know, Michigan, Oregon will be the two, and, and we'll see. You know, it, it depends on how that Michigan official visit goes for him when he takes it. And then just, you know, Oregon, do they, do they go all in? And if they do, I think they'll have a great shot. We'll end it with this. There's two openings in the Pac-12 right now. Um, Washington State – firing Nick Rolovich, Clay Helton being fired uh, like week two of the season uh, against USC, uh, against after that Stanford loss. Um, your thoughts from just what those teams need to do from a recruiting standpoint in their next hire, and will that impact Oregon at all? Yeah, it's definitely going to impact Oregon, right? I mean, USC yeah. and Oregon probably recruit head-to-head more than any other school, so – they need to get a guy, and you know, I'm, you probably hear the same names that I do. Uh, you know, James Franklin would be a guy who would be a great recruiter. He's he's phenomenal as a recruiter. Uh, Luke Fickle is a guy who I personally like because I think they need a they need to kind of go uh, the route of getting a tough guy who's you know going to completely change the culture over over there and and just. That's what I want to see at USC personally is someone who's going to kind of come in and not try to be buddy, buddy, but just be just like tough minded in everything they do. And, you know, I don't know him personally. I know Steve Wilfong does. And he says, Hey, Fickle is a very good hands-on recruiter. So that would be an interesting one for me. And then, you know, whoever USC is one of the schools, they they always recruit pretty well, right. you know, regardless. But I, I think getting a, you know, a name, whoever it's going to be. Yeah. It'll, it'll make things interesting between them and Oregon, you know, Washington state, you know, it, that's, that's an interesting one for me. Uh, I would, uh, I would like to see them, you know, maybe get someone who someone mentioned, mentioned Jim Mora to me today. And I kind of thought that, that for a second, I was like, you know, that's not, that's not terrible. You know what no. I mean? Um, you know, Jim yeah, had a couple of experience. That would be, yeah. that would it's a big name too. Big name. He's got ties to Washington, obviously ties to Seattle, but, you know, still ties to the state and you know, had a couple of 10 win seasons at UCLA. Think about how good they've been since he left. Right. So yeah. 
I, I think, you know, he had he had something going on at UCLA, and I think he, he kind of got caught up in, in his hype a little bit and started looking at the NFL. But if I think he just would have focused, then UCLA might be might be doing some things. But, no, a good football coach, tough-minded coach, and he gets recruiting. That would be interesting to me. You know, obviously at Washington State, you're, you're not always going to get a – you're not going to get the best talent. So I think the thing with Rolovich that I like was he kind of ran an offense that I thought was was – Sort of successful. You know, they had some wins and there were shoot, three wins in a row. Washington State's hard to do. I think what Jonathan Smith is doing at Oregon State is, you know, they're going to have to use the portal. But I think you, you, nowadays you can use the portal to, to get kids in. And so I don't think it's a bad job. I'm just, you know, do you, do you go get someone, you know, a, a DeBoer from Fresno State? You know, Fresno State's a really good football. Like I was like, when people would Oregon barely beat them, I was like, dude, yeah. you don't understand. Fresno State is legit. Like, they play everybody tough. They would have played, you know, name a school, you know, they're going to play that school tough. That Fresno State is just really good. So they just, and I think, so I think he's a good coach. Um, you know, maybe a, a Hoke at San Diego State, but, you know, you have to ask those guys, do you, do you leave SDSU to go to Washington State just because it's a bigger conference? I don't know. But so that, that that's what I'm curious. But I, I do think they need to get a guy who maybe either has a unique offense uh, you're not going to get the kind of players that you need to, to just pound it on people or get get a guy with some experience, whether it be a former Pac-12 guy, an NFL guy, some of some name brand recognition that I think that's going to help as well. Greg, thanks a lot for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. And I uh, would certainly love to talk to you down the road. Eight o'clock Saturday night, Valley Sports, T-Mac McMillan. Let's go. I'm sending it on my DVR right now. I think I get Valley Sports on, on my on my. Cable provider. And there's a a ton of other Oregon targets in that 2023 and 24 class. So you'll not be disappointed at all. Take your bang energy drink and let's go, baby. I'm ready. (laughs) I was also going to say there might be some Oregon fans in town for that UCLA game that night that maybe want to figure out what they're going to do. That might be something to to check out, actually. Well, the game is already sold out, unfortunately, so you can't go. But I'll be out there early tailgating. That's, you know, for me, the tailgate is better than the game itself. But, shoot, you can go (laughs) and watch our Valley Sports. There you go. Kill two birds. There we go. There we go. Hey, thanks a lot, Greg. We talked to you.